0: Book Five, Chapter Four of the Black Arrow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Black Arrow by Robert Louis Stevenson. Book Five, Chapter Four The Sack of Shoreby. There was not a foe left within striking distance. And Dick, as he looked ruefully about him on the remainder of his gallant force, began to count the cost of victory. He was himself, now that the danger was ended, so stiff and sore, so bruised, cut, and broken, and above all, so utterly exhausted by his desperate and unremitting labors in the fight, that he seemed incapable of any fresh exertion. But this was not yet the hour for repose. Shoreby had been taken by assault. And though an open town, and not in any manner to be charged with the resistance, it was plain that these rough fighters would be not less rough now that the fight was over, and that the more horrid part of war would fall to be enacted. Richard of Gloucester was not the captain to protect the citizens from his infuriated soldiery, and even if he had the will, it might be questioned if he had the power it was therefore dick's business to find and to protect joanna and with that end he looked about him at the faces of his men the three or four who seemed likeliest to be obedient and to keep sober he drew aside and promising them a rich reward and a special recommendation to the duke led them across the market-place now empty of horsemen and into the streets upon the further side every here and there small combats of from two to a dozen still raged upon the open street here and there a house was being besieged the defenders throwing out stools and tables on the heads of the assailants the snow was strewn with arms and corpses but except for these partial combats the streets were deserted and the houses some standing open and some shuttered and barricaded had for the most part ceased to give out smoke Dick, threading the skirts of these skirmishers, led his followers briskly in the direction of the Abbey Church. But when he came the length of the main street, a cry of horror broke from his lips. Sir Daniel's great house had been carried by assault. The gates hung in splinters from the hinges, and a double throng kept pouring in and through the entrance, seeking and carrying booty. Meanwhile, in the upper storeys, some resistance was still being offered to the pillagers, for just as Dick came within eyeshot of the building, a casement was burst open from within, and a poor wretch in murray and blue, screaming and resisting, was forced through the embrasure and tossed into the street below. The most sickening apprehension fell upon Dick. He ran forward like one possessed, forced his way into the house among the foremost and mounted without pause to the chamber on the third floor where he had last parted from joanna it was a mere wreck the furniture had been overthrown the cupboards broken open and in one place a trailing corner of the arras lay smouldering on the embers of the fire dick almost without thinking trod out the incipient conflagration and then stood bewildered sir daniel sir oliver joanna all were gone but whether butchered in the rout or safe escaped from shoreby who should say he caught a passing archer by the tabard fellow he asked were ye here when this house was taken let it be said the archer a murian let be or i strike hark ye returned richard two can play at that stand and be plain but the man flushed with drink and battle struck dick upon the shoulder with one hand while with the other he twitched away his garment. Thereupon the full wrath of the young leader burst from his control. He seized the fellow in his strong embrace and crushed him on the plates of his mailed bosom like a child. Then, holding him at arm's length, he bid him speak as he valued his life. "'I pray you mercy,' gasped the archer, "'and I thought you were so angry "'I would have been carrier of crossing you. "'I was here indeed.' "'Know ye, Sir Daniel?' pursued Dick. "'Well, I do know him,' returned the man. "'Was he in the mansion?' "'Aye, sir, he was,' answered the archer. "'But even as we entered by the yard gate, "'he rode forth by the garden. "'Alone?' cried Dick. "'He may ha had a score of lances with him,' said the man. "'Lances? No women, then?' asked Shelton. "'Troth, I saw not,' said the archer. But there were none in the house, if that be your quest. I thank you, said Dick. Here is a piece for your pains. But groping in his wallet, Dick found nothing. Inquire for me tomorrow, he added. "Richard, Sir Richard Shelton, he corrected. And I will see you handsomely rewarded. And then an idea struck Dick. He hastily descended to the courtyard, ran with all his might across the garden, and came to the great door of the church it stood wide open within every corner of the pavement was crowded with fugitive burghers surrounded by their families and laden with the most precious of their possessions while at the high altar priests in full canonicals were imploring the mercy of god even as dick entered the loud chorus began to thunder in the vaulted roofs he hurried through the groups of refugees and came to the door of the stair that led into the steeple and here a tall churchman stepped before him and arrested his advance. Whither, my son? he asked severely. My father, answered Dick, I am here upon an errand of expedition. Stay me not. I command here for my lord of Gloucester. For my lord of Gloucester, repeated the priest, hath then the battle gone so sore? The battle, father, is at an end. Lancaster, clean sped, my lord of Risingham heaven rest him left upon the field and now with your good leave i follow mine affairs and thrusting on one side the priest who seemed stupefied at the news dick pushed open the door and rattled up the stairs four at a bound and without pause or stumble till he stepped upon the open platform at the top shoreby church tower not only commanded the town as in a map but looked far on both sides over sea and land it was now near upon noon the day exceeding bright the snow dazzling and as dick looked around him he could measure the consequences of the battle a confused growling uproar reached him from the streets and now and then but very rarely the clash of steel not a ship not so much as a skiff remained in harbour but the sea was dotted with sails and rowboats laden with fugitives on shore too the surface of the snowy meadows was broken up with bands of horsemen some cutting their way towards the borders of the forest others who were doubtless of the yorkist side stoutly interposing and beating them back upon the town over all the open ground there lay a prodigious quantity of fallen men and horses clearly defined upon the snow to complete the picture those of the foot soldiers as had not found place upon a ship, still kept an archery combat on the porters of the port and from the cover of the shore-side taverns. In that quarrel also one or two houses had been fired, and the smoke towered high in the frosty sunlight and blew off to sea in voluminous folds. Already close upon the margin of the woods and somewhat in the line of Hollywood, one particular clump of fleeing horsemen riveted the attention of the young watcher on the tower it was fairly numerous in no other quarter of the field did so many lancasterians still hold together thus they had left a wide discoloured wake upon the snow and dick was able to trace them step by step from where they had left the town while dick stood watching them they had gained unopposed the first fringe of the leafless forest and turning a little from their direction the sun fell for a moment, full on their array, as it was relieved against the dusky wood. Murray and blue, cried Dick. I swear it, Murray and blue. The next moment he was descending the stairway. It was now his business to seek out the Duke of Gloucester, who alone, in the disorder of the forces, might be able to supply him with a sufficiency of men. The fighting in the main town was now practically at an end. And as Dick ran hither and thither, seeking the commander, the streets were thick with wandering soldiers, some laden with more booty than they could well stagger under, others shouting drunk. None of them, when questioned, had the least notion of the Duke's whereabouts, and at last it was by sheer good fortune that Dick found him, where he sat in the saddle, directing operations to dislodge the archers from the harbour-side. "'Sir Richard Shelton, ye are well found,' he said. "'I owe you a thing that I value little, my life, "'and one that I can never pay you for, this victory. "'Catsby, if I had ten such captains as Sir Richard, "'I would march forth right on London. "'But now, sir, claim your reward.' "'Freely, my lord,' said Dick, freely and loudly, "'one hath escaped to whom I owe some grudges, "'and taken with him one whom i owe love and service give me then fifty lances that i may pursue and for any obligation that your graciousness is pleased to allow it shall be clean discharged how call ye him inquired the duke sir daniel brackley answered richard out upon him double face cried gloucester here is no reward sir richard here is a fresh service offered and if that ye bring his head to me, a fresh debt upon my conscience. Catsby, get him these lances, and you, sir, bethink ye in the meanwhile, what pleasure, honour, or profit it shall be mine to give you. Just then, the Yorkist skirmishers carried one of the shoreside taverns, swarming in upon it on three sides, and driving out or taking its defenders. Crookback Dick was pleased to cheer the exploit, and pushing his horse a little nearer, called to see the prisoners. There were four or five of them, two men of my lord Shoreby's and one of Lord Risingham's among the number, and at last, but in Dick's eyes, not least, a tall, shambling, grizzled old shipman, between drunk and sober, and with a dog whimpering and jumping at his heels. The young Duke passed them for a moment under a severe review. Good, he said, hang them, and he turned the other way to watch the progress of the fight my lord said dick so please you i have found my reward grant me the life and liberty of yon old shipman gloucester turned and looked the speaker in the face sir richard he said i make not war with peacock's feathers but steel shafts those that are mine enemies i slay and that without excuse or favour for bethink ye in this realm of england that is so torn in pieces there is not a man of mine but hath a brother or a friend upon the other party if then i did begin to grant these pardons i might sheath my sword it may be so my lord and yet i will be overbold and at the risk of your disfavour recall your lordship's promise replied dick richard of gloucester flushed make it right well he said harshly i love not mercy nor yet mercy-mongers, ye have this day laid the foundations of high fortune. If ye oppose to me my word, which I have plighted, I will yield. But by the glory of heaven, there your favour dies. Mine is the loss, said Dick. Give him this sailor, said the Duke, and wheeling his horse, he turned his back upon young Shelton. Dick was nor glad, nor sorry. He had seen too much of the young duke, to set great store on his affection. And the origin and growth of his own favour had been too flimsy and too rapid to inspire much confidence. One thing alone he feared, that the vindictive leader might revoke the offer of the lances. But here he did justice neither to Gloucester's honour, such as it was, nor above all to his decision. If he had once judged Dick to be the right man to pursue Sir Daniel, he was not one to change and he soon proved it by shouting after Catsby to be speedy, for the paladin was waiting. In the meanwhile, Dick turned to the old shipman, who had seemed equally indifferent to his condemnation and to his subsequent release. "'Our blaster,' said Dick, "'I have done you ill, but now, by the rood, I think I have cleared the score.' But the old skipper only looked upon him dully and held his peace. "'Come,' continued dick a life is a life old shrew and it is more than ships or liquor say ye forgive me for if your life is worth nothing to you it hath cost me the beginnings of my fortune come i have paid for it dearly be not so churlish Uh, and i had my ship said our blaster i would have been forth and safe on the high seas i and my man tom but ye took my ship gossip and i am a beggar and for my man tom a nay, fellow and russet shot him down murian quoth he and never spake again murian was the last of his words and the poor spirit of him passed ah will never sail no more will my tom dick was seized with unavailing penitence and pity he sought to take the skipper's hand but our blaster avoided his touch Nay said he let be ye have played the devil with me and let that content you the words died in richard's throat he saw through tears the poor old man bemused with liquor and sorrow go shambling away with bowed head across the snow and the unnoticed dog whimpering at his heels and for the first time began to understand the desperate game that we play in life and how a thing once done is not to be changed or remedied by any penitence But there was no time left to him for vain regret. Catsby had now collected the horseman, and riding up to Dick, he dismounted and offered him his own horse. "'This morning,' he said, "'I was somewhat jealous of your favour. "'It hath not been of a long growth. "'And now, Sir Richard, it is with a very good heart "'that I offer you this horse to ride away with.' "'Suffer me yet a moment,' replied Dick. "'This favour of mine, whereupon was it founded?' Upon your name, answered Catsby, it is my lord chief's superstition. Were my name Richard, I should be an earl to-morrow. Well, sir, I thank you. Return, Dick. And since I am little likely to follow these great fortunes, I will even say farewell. I will not pretend I was displeased to think myself upon the road to fortune, but I will not pretend neither that I am over-sorry to be done with it. Command and riches, they are brave things, to be sure, But a word in your ear, yon duke of yours, he is a fearsome lad. Catsby laughed. Nay, said he, of a verity, he that rides with crooked Dick will ride deep. Well, God keep us all from evil, speed ye well. Thereupon Dick put himself at the head of his men, and giving the word of command, rode off. He made straight across the town, following what he supposed to be the route of Sir Daniel and spying around for any signs that might decide if he were right. The streets were strewn with the dead and the wounded, whose fate in the bitter frost was far more the pitiable. Gangs of the victors went from house to house, pillaging and stabbing, and sometimes singing together as they went. From different quarters, as he rode on, the sounds of violence and outrage came to young Shelton's ears now the blows of sledge-hammers on some barricaded door and now the miserable shrieks of women dick's heart had just been awakened he had just seen the cruel consequences of his own behaviour and the thought of the sum of the misery that was now acting in the whole of shoreby filled him with despair at length he reached the outskirts and there sure enough he saw straight before him the same broad beaten track across the snow that he had marked from the summit of the church. Here, then, he went the faster on, but still as he rode, he kept a bright eye upon the fallen men and horses that lay beside the track. Many of these, he was relieved to see, wore Sir Daniel's colours, and the faces of some who lay upon their backs he even recognised. About halfway between the town and the forest, those whom he was following had plainly been assailed by archers, for the corpses lay pretty closely scattered, each pierced by an arrow. And here Dick spied among the rest the body of a very young lad whose face was somehow hauntingly familiar to him. He halted his troop, dismounted and raised the lad's head. As he did so, the hood fell back and a profusion of long brown hair unrolled itself. At the same time, the eyes opened. Ah, lion driver! said a feeble voice she is further on ride ride fast and then the poor young lady fainted once again one of dick's men carried a flask of some strong cordial and with this dick succeeded in reviving consciousness then he took joanna's friend upon his saddle-bow and once more pushed towards the forest why do ye take me said the girl ye but delay your speed "Nay, Mistress Risingham, "'replied Dick. "'Shoreby is full of blood and drunkenness and riot. "'Here ye are safe, content ye.' "'I will not be beholden to any of your faction,' she cried. "'Set me down.' "'Madam, ye know not what ye say,' returned Dick. "'Ye are hurt.' "'I am not,' she said. "'It was my horse was slain.' "'It matters not one jot,' replied Richard. "'Ye are here in the midst of open snow.' and compassed about with enemies. Whether ye will or not, I carry you with me. Glad am I to have the occasion, for thus shall I repay some portion of our debt. For a little while she was silent. Then very suddenly she asked, My uncle? My lord Rissingham, returned Dick. I would. I had good news to give you, madam. But I have none. I saw him once in the battle, and only once. Let us hope the best. End of Book 5, Chapter 4